Son, and Holy Spirit. My mouth may proclaim your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Wow, we've got light. (laughs) There's been a few changes on the campus since I was here. I'm normally kind of trying to look at my book, and we've just got, wow, light. That's amazing. Thank you uh, for that. So, um, you might not have heard, there's a new presidential candidate out there, um, but his party line is, if you're going to vote for me, you're voting to lose your homes and families, you're asking for higher taxes and lower wages, and you're deciding in favor of losing all you love best. Not seriously. But that's pretty much what Jesus is saying in this gospel's passage. He says, want to be my disciple, do you? Well, in that case, you have to learn to hate your family, give up your possessions, and get ready for a nasty death. Hardly the way, as we say, to win friends and influence people. Of course, Jesus is a great rhetorician, so he knows exactly how to get to people. This is hyperbole. This is using that rhetorical skill device to really get people's attention. This passage is not about how we are in our relationships with our family. He's already made it quite clear that the fifth commandment stands and will stand and that we are to honor our mother and our father. But Jesus is not only a presidential candidate, he's not that, he actually is right now the king of the whole world. And so we're to listen to what he says, because this passage, again, is not about family relationships. It's about the cost of discipleship. It's about the cost of following Jesus as our king, as the king of the whole world. But imagine this, and some of you have either parents or yourselves have been involved in endeavors that you entered into knowing, and I'm thinking of those who have entered into war in the armed forces, either World War II or Korea or Vietnam or the more recent wars that we've been involved in, where people's lives are at stake. And those people have gone into those endeavors knowing quite well that their lives are on the line. That when they say their goodbyes to their families, it could be the last goodbye until they meet again in heaven. But it could be the last goodbye. And they count the cost And they go forward into the endeavor anyway. And it's not just the really strong who are the heroes. It's also the weak whose weaknesses encounter this possibility of death. And yet 
enter into the quest anyway. Literature is filled with those kind of epic expeditions and stories. And you'll know by now, because I've uh, gone back to there often and quoted from it often, that Lord of the Rings is one such epic story. And uh, there's Frodo, who's a small, uh, unassuming hobbit, who has been tasked with destroying the ring that brings evil and darkness into the world because only he can carry out this quest. But he goes on the journey with another hobbit, an ordinary weak farmer hobbit called Sam Gamgee. And it's a, it's a dangerous journey they go on. And they encounter a lot of frightening events and frightening beings. And it's a tiring journey. And they've come to a point where Frodo is about to give up. And he turns to his friend Sam and says, I can't do this, Sam. And Sam says, I know. It's all wrong. By rights, we shouldn't even be here. But we are. It's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered, full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end. Because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. Those were the stories that stayed with you, that meant something, even if you were too small to understand why. But I think, Mr. Frodo, I do understand. I know why. Folk in those stories had lots of chances of turning back. Only they didn't. They kept going because there was something holding they hold on to, they, because they were holding on to something. And Frodo said, what are we holding on to, Sam? And Sam replies, that there's some good in the world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. That's what the Lord's challenge to us is in today's gospel. Will we truly count the cost and still follow him? He's going up to Jerusalem to certain death. He's already counted that cost. He counted it way before when he was in glory in heaven and decided to come to take off glory, to walk amongst us, to be incarnate, and to go to his death on a cross. He'd already counted that cost and found that he wanted to do it because of his deep love 
for each and every one of us. So in counting the cost, what does it cost us? Jesus has paid the full price. But if we're to trust him completely, if we're to follow him as our captain, if we're to count the cost of discipleship, it means that he is our captain in all aspects of our lives. As someone has said, from the bedroom to the boardroom and to the bank, he is captain of all of our life. Oswald Chambers once said, many of us have heard Jesus Christ first follow me to a life of freedom from sin, joy, and gladness. How many of us have heard the second follow me, deny your right to yourself, and do to death in yourself everything that never was in me? If being a disciple of Jesus costs us no pain to acquire, no self-denial to preserve, no effort to advance, no struggle to maintain, then this isn't what Jesus had in mind. See, we're not called to be spectators. We're called to be recruits. We've entered into the biggest epic, story of all time and Jesus says count the cost before you follow me look at the person who goes about building a house make sure you have everything you need to build the house like the king going into battle who has 10,000 with an opposing army of 20,000 It's not just the numbers. Do you have the skill? Do you have the strategy? Can you overcome the enemy with lesser numbers? Count the cost of the battle into which you are called to engage. But we've also got to count the cost of not following him. See, each thing has a cost. God and man are separated by sin. And as St. Paul says, the wages of sin is death, eternal death. So it's like this man on this side of the chasm, sin and death form the chasm, And God is on this side of the chasm. We cannot possibly build a bridge from this side to the other. Only God can build the bridge. And he did so by becoming human, by dying on a cross, and by being raised again. That was his cost. And so through the cross... Man is able to walk or to come into the presence of a holy God. He bridges the chasm that we could never bridge. So those are the choices. Counting the cost of following him 
or counting the cost of not following him and eternal death or eternal life by following him. But he makes it quite clear. This is not a sugar-coated gospel. This is not a battle for sissies. We are engaged, as I said, in the biggest epic story of all time. It's not for the faint of heart. It will require some kind of sacrifice. And for each person, that might seem different for each one. It might mean refusing to endorse a relationship before God that's been conducted in a way that dishonors him. It might mean uh, refusing to support a family member for a decision that may be immoral in God's eyes. Costly discipleship might mean testifying about a crime when everyone else will vilify you for doing so. For others, the cost of discipleship is taking a stand that could cost freedom of, or, in fact, the loss of their own life. Back in the days of communist Russia on Easter, a communist leader made a scathing speech to a large crowd against God and faith. And he ended by saying, Can anyone here answer me? There was an awkward silence. The consequences of standing up to the communist leader were apparent to all. Uh, Imprisonment, possibly torture, possibly death. And a young Orthodox priest rose and mounted the platform. I'll give you just five minutes to answer my speech, said the communist. I don't need five minutes. Just five seconds, said the priest. He then turned to the crowd And in a loud voice said, Jesus Christ is risen. And with one voice, the entire crowd responded, He is risen indeed. Alleluia. It takes courage and counting the cost to follow this Jesus. We have persecuted brothers and sisters around the world who are being martyred for their faith, who have counted the cost of following Jesus and in the face of execution and death have continued to follow him. We probably will never be asked to make that kind of sacrifice here in this culture. But... We will need to count the cost of following this Jesus. But know this, we never do it alone. We don't ever go into this battle by ourselves. There's that wonderful picture in Revelation where seated on a white horse is this amazing figure with his sword outstretched, and on his thigh is written the name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And behind him are myriad upon myriad of angel armies, and they surround us.
And Jesus goes before us, and he is behind us, and he is beside us, and above us, and beneath us, and in us. See, we have received grace, which is freely given, but it is not cheap. It costs the Son of God everything. Have we counted the cost of discipleship? Are we willing to follow Jesus on his terms? Are we like Sam Gamgee in Lord of the Rings, willing to engage in the battle, knowing that there is some good in this world and it's worth fighting for? But we won't be doing it in our own strength. For the Lord has promised that he is with us and will be with us until the end of the age. Amen.